now tuned in to the Meesey Muse Unplugged, a pop-up podcast variety show helping consultants along their journey to greatness with your host, management consultant, author, and blogger, Christy Lindor. go-getters. Welcome to the Missy Muse Unplugged podcast show. For today's episode, we will be doing a segment that I call Where Are They Now? And if this is your first time tuning in, Where Are They Now? are essentially opportunities where I connect with an individual that I used to work with, a former colleague who had the brand of a rock star. And we have a really fun reconnecting conversation on the show. So super excited. I'll talk a little bit about today's guest and a little bit on what's on the agenda. Before I do that, I've got two announcements that I wanted to share. So my, my first announcement is this week, I go ahead and check out Time Magazine. So I, I was super excited. It was my first global media coverage and I uh, was on time.com so if you go to the career section I share ideas and some of my thoughts on the top jobs of 2040 so thank you so much time magazine for that opportunity I had a really fun conversation so check it out I'll also kind of I'll leave the the links in today's show notes as well so you can check that out let me know what you think you know we talk about the you know a couple of top jobs of the future there's some other kind of cool insights that shared would love to hear your thoughts so drop me a line me see unplugged at gmail or, or connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think about that article uh, so that's one, two, I've actually had a lot of people asking me about my book and kind of where is it? You know, is it published yet? So I want to give a quick update. So right now I'm actually in the last stages of the publishing process and it's in what's called the grammar review, which is essentially when it just as it sounds, right? So everything's done with my book, content's done, structure, you know, designs, even I've finished the bibliography, the appellate, like everything is done. It's just a matter of going through, making sure all of the, the grammar is correct, spelling checks, copyright checks, kind of those last kind of little nuances. And once that is done, it then the book goes into what's called a pagination process. And you know, the journey of this book, and, and I'm, I'm going to do an episode just talking about the publishing journey. So if you want to hear about kind of the journey of how I wrote the book, you can check out episode two, where I share a little bit of that and, and, and what I went through. But go-getters, if you're ever interested in publishing a book, <laughs> let me tell you, writing the book was actually the easiest part. The publishing aspect of it is pretty intense and lots of lessons learned, lots of twists and turns. It's taken a lot longer than I anticipated and that's kind of the key theme I hear from every other author that I've spoken to. It just takes more time than you sometimes anticipate, but I think it really helps to round out and make a, a great product. So uh, check that out. Like I said, I'll talk about that in the future when I do announce my release date and I'll share a little bit more about the publishing and for go-getters, you know, if you may be interested in writing a book, an ebook, I'll probably, you do a quick win segment just talking about that and sharing kind of my lessons learned and journey so stay tuned for that in the future so going back to today's episode as i mentioned um it's where are they now 
I had a chance to connect with Jonathan. A little bit about Jonathan. He is a former consultant. He is now a senior vice president at a global marketing firm. Uh, Jonathan actually has a, a really great background in media and entertainment. He'll talk a little bit about that. And in today's career dilemma, I had a mentee uh, reach out to me about a client that continues to throw her under the bus and what she should do about that. So in today's episode, Jonathan and I are gonna you know, really kind of give my mentee some advice and some things that she can consider to help manage that dynamic. So uh, super excited that we'll talk about that in episode 21. I've had other people asking me about a previous Where Are They Now episode I did. Check out episode 12. I did connect with Ron in that episode and we have a really fun conversation and people seem to really like the Where Are They Now segment. So I'm super excited. I think you'll really enjoy today's episode. Stay tuned for episode 22 next week when I have a chance to talk about the importance of image in consulting. And I have a celebrity stylist that joins me in that conversation. So this individual, she styled folks like Lenny Kravitz, Katie Couric, Marie Forleo. And so we've got the, you've got the right expert talking about image. And I think you'll be really surprised. It was really insightful to understand kind of the unpacking of image and sometimes the perceptions that are out there and how you can use image to really take your brand to the next level, go getter. So we'll talk a little bit about that in episode 22 and next week. So with that, let's get started. Jonathan, thank you so much for making time to connect with us today on the Macy Muse Unplugged. Hey, Christy. Um, thank you for inviting me. So happy to be talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I was so super excited that uh, we reconnected and it's just been so many years. I know we were just talking and trying to figure out like, you know, it's been a while. Um, so much has changed in, 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 in our lives and the world. So, so thank you for your time today. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you mentioned a lot of changes in the, in the world. Oh God. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's, a, that's like an episode all on itself. I know. Another episode, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I completely agree. So I guess before we get started with today's interview, maybe you can you know share with the go getters of the Macy Museum plug a little bit about who you are and your background. Right. So my name is Jonathan Jordan. I am right now in LA, Los Angeles. Really sunny and beautiful out here. But originally from the East Coast, so I've been out here for about two years and really grew up in Virginia and DC area, and then migrated up to New York City, which is when we met Christy, when we were both working at a big four. And so, you know, I was in New York for about seven years. And um, after that, you know, moved out here. And there's tons of great opportunity out here. My current, you know, my current role is really focused around the same stuff that I've been doing. Most of my career um, in consulting, and I still, you know, even though I'm in a, another industry, which we can talk about, uh, but most of the work that I do is really focused on people's strategy. So whether that's people and organizational change management, or whether it's more on the talent, human capital side, um, really what I do is I partner with large Fortune 500 companies to really roll out programs and interventions that will really support their employees to be the best they can be and really support and deliver the strategy. You know, I did take a detour for a few years and worked in the music business. Um, we could talk about that too. That's my passion. I'm always going to do something in the music business, but I did work for a record label for a few years. Uh, that was a great experience. And actually, I think that helped a lot when I came back into consulting, working in the media and entertainment space, um, which, you know, LA, we do a ton of that work today. So that's a little bit about me. Feel free to ask any questions if I didn't elaborate enough. 
Yeah, you you shared so much in that. Oh my goodness, I'm like, where do I start? So I guess before I even start with with some of the questions about your background, can I? I'm just gonna share really quickly with the listeners, like how much people loved Jonathan. <laughs> I remember when you first joined our project team, it was like you could do no wrong, and I remember you like quickly rose to the top. You know, got promoted. Like, I mean, it was just. I think you were like in my, in my mind when I think about you, Jonathan. You were like on fire. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. I didn't feel that way though. That's so interesting to hear. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, <laughs> that's so crazy because you don't always get that impression. I mean, the partner's not going to tell you exactly what they think about you. So that's cool to hear from your side. Yeah, well, you know, one thing, one, a quick fun fact, you know, you talked about working for the music industry. I think you, like, I think you entered, like, a, a I know this is so random, but you entered, like, a, a talent show and, like, played with a John Legend, and then you, like, won? I think it was, like, right. your first month with the firm. Oh, it was just insane. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I was, I got stuck in the elevator, and I won't say with who, but let's just say, you know, that project that we were on together was really high-ranking, and you had all these high-ranking people, and we were on that floor with all the senior partners. And so I got stuck in the elevator because it's 37 floors with someone that was a super high-ranking person, and, and she was like, hey, you, you kind of look like John Legend. Do people tell you that? And I said, yeah, I get it. I said, what makes it worse is that I perform and I, you know, I, I, you know, I play keys and I sing. And I, I used to do that a ton of back in the day, but I really hadn't done it that much. And so she was like, oh, you have to do our talent show. You have to do it. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, I was so new. It's like, you don't want to be that guy. That's, I didn't want to be known for doing music. But of course, like if that can help me have some conversations with people, sure. I'll do right. It. So, yeah, I did Ordinary People <laughs> at, the, at, the big, at the Big Four talent show. And then, yeah. It was pretty cool. I won it and then got a little money. Then more and more people asked me to sing. And then, oh, I don't know if you knew, but I, I sang at the the New York uh, Christmas party. Really? <laughs> yeah, they asked me to do it. They asked me to do a, jing, a holiday song. Oh my Christmas gosh! Song. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I was in front of everybody in the market. So. Oh my god! Like, I, why am I not surprised? Like, I'm so not surprised. Like I said, you know. Total rock star status. So, well, thank you for for sharing out. Before we get into like specific questions, one thing you mentioned, you started, you know, you know, grew up in Virginia. You know, you spent, a, you know, a good t- chunk of time in New York City, and now you're on the West Coast. Any, mm-hmm. is there? Do you have any particular favorite city? You know, because you're kind of, you know, you've kind of had different experiences. Any, yeah. any thoughts for I mean, anyone thinking about moving? Yeah, I mean, anyone that's traveled a little bit, you know that there's a massive difference between the West Coast and the East Coast. I love LA. It's great. Um, I'll, I'll say New York is always going to be home to me just because, you know, I, I think the energy and the pace and just the drive that people have there mm-hmm. is, you know, is so unique and so different. I mean, it's interesting when you talk to people in New York, they have a day job, but they also have a hustle and they have just things that they want to pursue. And many times they move to the city to accomplish these things. And so that drive and energy is just, you know, it's hard to match. I'd say L.A. is much more laid back. But mm-hmm. the, the level of intelligence out here is great, too. I, I mean, I'm really impressed by some of the things that they do. And what I'd say is the biggest difference I notice is the creativity that I find in L.A. And some of it is just West Coast. You know, when you talk to people in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, it's, you know, disruptive in thinking. It's why are we doing this? You know, there's got to be a better way we can do it. There's a more creative way we can do it. And so that's one differentiator that I see. And so, you know, anyone that's thinking about moving to L.A., you know, you'll certainly like it. The one thing you got to know is that, like, traffic's pretty pretty nuts. It is really crazy, as people say. 
but it, it certainly has its own vibe and creativity out here. Yeah, no, that, that's helpful, helpful advice. So, well, let's delve, I feel like we could just talk about that all day, but let's, I guess let's delve right into some of the questions that I, I wanted to to make sure our listeners got a chance to hear about your, your journey. So maybe let's start off with, a, you know, how did you get into consulting? I know you shared about, you, you started in consulting, then it sounds like you, you know, veered off, went into the, another industry, and then you came back. So maybe share a little yeah. bit about how you decided to even go yeah. in consulting in the first place. I, I literally stumbled into consulting. <laughs> like I didn't go to college thinking, man, like I, I want to be a consultant. I actually studied communications in my undergrad. Like I thought I was going to go work in, you know, media, whether that was, you know, radio or TV. And it's funny because it's full circle because I am doing that today. But I, you know, I spent, um, you know, undergrad really focused on communication, mass marketing, mass media communications. And then in between, you know, undergrad and going back to get my MBA, um, I spent about six months at a direct marketing company, and it was a small mom and pop shop, but it was really interesting. They, you know, I was just graduated undergrad, and the guy put me in charge of new business. So I was going to just meeting after meeting after meeting, trying to drum up a pipeline of work and business for this company. Um, and one of the most interesting things that I learned is we were starting to get a schedule for GSA so we could sell to the government. And so I was taking a bunch of trips up to D.C., and going in these meetings and presenting who the company was. And, you know, I was always the youngest guy, usually the only person of color in there. And I would hang around with these older guys that had just been around the block. And they kept telling me, just go back and get your grad degree, get it out of the way. If you know you want to do it, just, just do it. And so went to get the, get the MBA, but I really didn't know where I, what I wanted to do. You know, when I was in that business role, I think it was the most eye-opening thing that business is where it's at. And if I could, you know, even though I might want my aspirations might be to get into media or to, to, you know, maybe veer into marketing or maybe the music business, I had to have a good foundation of business acumen. And so after getting that degree, I kind of was just like stuck. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I went on a couple job interviews for like super low level jobs. And then I, I honestly, I didn't, I didn't get a gig. And so I kept working, you know, side jobs just to pay the bills. And then I actually got uh, into a job placement uh, company, um, you know, like a staffing. You just work a job and they put you into mm -hmm. staffing. Yeah. And it was for like a project management role. And it was like a super, super, super junior analyst project management role. And they luckily put me at And so that was my first gig. And, you know, I went to do project management and worked at that firm for a little while. And then I really kind of found a liking to more of the, the people and HR side and strategy side. Mm -hmm. And so I started to work on a, a tiny team that was really kind of an internal consulting team called People's Strategic Initiative. And it was there that I really like, I was like, this is it. Like, this is really, really fun work. Um, if I had to work in the professional services or, you know, uh, organizations that are really focused on professional services, I knew that that was going to be the area where I would find the most interest. Because I think people are interesting and I, I'm very pro, you know, organizations doing the right thing by their, their employees. A sidebar real quick, if you look at back at history, organizations and companies, especially a lot of the, you know, the, the GEs and those companies that are known um, that have been around a long time, one thing that they always did is they valued employees. But as the 70s came in and especially the early 80s, where shareholder value was like the number one priority of large companies you saw employees take a back seat and shareholders take a front seat. And what that did is that changed the climate of the 
relationship and that trust factor between organizations and employees. And so today, where, you know, people stay at a job for one or two years, you know, there's that distrust in an organization and I'm only going to get what I can get and then, you know, really have no loyalty for the, uh, the organization. People blame employees for that, but it's actually the other way around. Companies really made employees take a back seat to shareholder profits. Um, so that was a whole tangent. Sorry, I can get I can get on a soapbox. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I, I You said that and I'm like shaking my head. I know you can't see me, but I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I totally so agree. That's, that's, so I really fell into consulting. It wasn't something that like I always thought I wanted to do, but like once I fell into it, I fell in love with it. That, that's awesome. With such a nice, well-rounded background, you know, you talked about going back and, and getting your MBA. Any any insights you can share for, for anyone that's thinking about getting an MBA? It, it sounded like you had some really wise sage counsel at that time, which was, you know, if you're going to mm-hmm. do it, get it out the way. Any Anything else yeah. you'd share? So, you know, I, I, people ask all the time, should I go get it? I, I think the best way that you can learn is by doing things. So, you know, I don't think it's a requirement at all, unless you can get into an IV, which is which will propel your career and certainly help you build that network that you'll probably, you know, use for your advantage after you graduate. But if, if you know, you're on the, the fence about it, I mean, education is always great, but I think even more so getting some really good experience at a, you know, at a, in an actual company where you can, you know, put your you know, hand to the plow and sort of learn a trade. Those, it's not either or, it's not mutually exclusive, but I would say, you know, I was been, I was, you know, lucky enough to learn quite a bit in that degree. I also worked for the school. So most of it was paid for, right? So that was my hack. <laughs> I didn't have much money at all, but I knew if I could get a gig at the school, I could right. work in the school and also pursue that graduate degree on the side, um, which is, I would encourage anybody to do. If you can you know, find a role and they have education benefits, do that by all means, because it's a really great way to um, you know, not only work and get some experience, but you're also getting a free education. Um, the one thing I'll say is that I benefit most from, which is what I actually do today, because a lot of times we, you know, we look back at our, our education and say, well, how am I actually using this? SWOT analysis. So anybody that's been in a business school or even undergrad, you know what a SWOT analysis is. You know, doing that over and over and over during, you know, that master's degree, I came out knowing a lot about how to do that right. Right. There's a lot of people that try to do it, not a lot of people that do it right. And that is something that we are, you know, very much using today, um, which is uncommon because a lot of times we can't remember, you know, 95% of the stuff we learned in school. Today's episode is brought to you on behalf of the Misi Muse. 100-plus selected practices, unwritten rules, and habits of great consultants, a book by Christy Lindor. Written in the voice of a mentor, The Misi Muse provides insights on the unwritten rules of great consultants, a perfect read for new or aspiring consultants. Christy dives into her 15-plus years of consulting experience while sharing interviews and anecdotes from over 50 consulting partners and leaders that represents thought leadership from 80% of the top 10 consulting firms in the world. Pre-sale begins shortly. Sign up at www.macymuse.com. This was extremely helpful. I'm going to actually pivot. Jonathan, and then I, I want to kind of go down memory lane with you and have you share, you know, in, in our where are they now segments, we like to do what's called moments. And, I, you know, I want to start with 
this is the the positive one. So let's let's talk about like your favorite project moment. You know, when you were in consulting, either at you know your your last firm or previously. Like, what what for you was like a favorite project moment that you can think of? Oof, oof. Oh, this is good. You know what I say? Oh, so many. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, this is this is good. I'm, I'm going back through all the experiences to find one. I think I'll say one of my clients out here in LA was probably the best. I, so I don't think it was a particular moment. I think it is a, a, a series of moments that I reflect on from you know my last one of the last clients that I had, um, and, and I'm probably remembering it mostly most fondly because it's the closest in my long term and short term memory stinks, <laughs> Christy. Um, <laughs> but you know I, I think. What we do is we build trust and we advise. I remember a really smart person that you also know, Christy, from back in the day. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say the name, though. But they said, we get paid to talk and to think. And I think that's absolutely right. But I think the outcome of those things is that you build a trusted relationship with your clients. And so that's this, this last client, I think I've always been able to help and support and help our, our clients get to value. But this particular instance, I was on a project and it was a um, really fast growth company. So we're talking about, you know, they went from, you know, in a matter of 10 years from zero to $1.5 billion, like super fast growth. And, you know, it's a company out here in LA where it's a family owned thing. It's super small. It's mom and pop, but, you know, they're growing so fast and their headcount and you know, they've got to have processes and standards and they just, they're out of their element. They know one thing and they know it really well, but the actual business side of it, they're super immature and just didn't know how to really grow their company in a way that, that would maintain a, a positive culture um, in a way that they could retain, you know, the brightest and the best and the brightest talent. They also didn't have any processes set up. I mean, it was just, it was kind of a nightmare, right? You're going from like paper manual processes to efficient, you know, systems and that kind of thing. But what, what we were doing is I was helping, um, the, you know, the CIO and also his, his chief of staff is really how do we take this transformation idea and idea about, you know, how do we grow fast and how do we transform into a mature organization? But what we actually did is we uh, built that into the fabric of the, the company. So if you think about transformation as a platform for continuous change where you're actually inspiring and, you know, moving ahead and change. Uh, in a way where you're able to grow. And, you know, there were some really cool things we could talk about. I could geek out about it forever. But like this concept of instead of letting change happen to you, you sort mm -hmm. of embed it into the organization. And we, we you know, it was test we tested it out. Like we've never done it before. But I think we were successful in doing that. And just me as a consultant, I think I, I got a seat at the table in a lot of conversations that I've never been at before. I mean, really super executive senior conversations where you're actually influencing the success of the company. And so it wasn't a particular moment, but I'd say it was a series of things that happened that led to this moment where I became a really trusted advisor for that client. That's an awesome story. Uh, what, what would you say is like your most challenging moment that you, you can think of? <laughs> I definitely know. So I think it's easier <laughs> when we think about like the negative stuff. <laughs> we got some nightmares. Um, <laughs> mine was, it was not too too long after I met you. We were helping this company out on the East Coast, and it was a super large media and entertainment client. And it was awkward. It was awkward, Christy. So there were multiple consulting companies 
helping them out at the same time oh, yeah. with the same problem. I, I've been so on those it, before. <laughs> right, right. You can totally relate to these, right? So right. it was political. You know, we had to smile at each other in front of the client, but like behind closed doors, you know, we hated each other. And so it was a global project, but, you know, we were leading the, the U.S. version of this part of the, of the project. So it was a really big project. Lots of vendors in there. Some of you probably work for. I don't we won't get into that part. But, but, you know, there were some nice people, but there were some just really hard people to work with. And when it's not the client, it's like, how much do I really have to, you know, like collaboration is always good. But when there's such a false and negative energy in the room, it's hard to work with that, right? But you can't necessarily go to your client and just complain, right? You got to generate value, you know, just do what you can do for your client, do what's right by your client. So I'll say that the moment where I was just like, and I never want to be in this moment again, is where we got to such a level of scope creep and it wasn't our fault. It was actually a, several reasons why we got to there, but mm-hmm. it was like, hey, we got to wash our hands and get off of this thing. Like it, it just was out of hand. It was so crazy. We had to get out of there. And <laughs> we were like, we're done. It was more of a respect. We have to have respect for our people because it was becoming really toxic. But in doing that, the client asked us to um, transition this other other consulting company that was bringing in their people to backfill us. And when I say toxic, like it was just unhealthy toxic, like we need to get out of here. And so, you know, I kind of had to just like tough it out and like transition this work. And, you know, we made the best of it because we were leaving, but it was, it was one of those moments where I'm just like, I don't want to ever be in that predicament. Right. Right. Well, you know, I, I give kudos to the leadership team that you were working with then that, you know, that was a, probably a tough decision. And I, I really respect, I I so respect when leaders, they, they see the writing on the wall. They know that, you know, if a client's behavior is not, you know, in alignment with, with, you know, their firm's values or their personal values, like they will make adjustments. So I I give kudos and I'm glad that you saw that type of leadership because sometimes people don't, they, sometimes it's the other way around. I've, I've actually seen projects where you know, the same toxic behavior, but, you know, people are, are making different decisions based on revenue. You know, your point earlier about completely. shareholder, you know, completely. so that's Com- awesome. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's I, great. I, I, I commend those leaders for saying no, because it's so hard to do when you got money on the table. Right. Right. No, that, that was a, that was a really great story. My last two questions before we talk about today's career dilemma, given your, your experience in consulting, like what would you say is your definition of a great consultant? Jonathan? So I think, I think it's two part. Um, it's a great question, by the way. Um, I think it's two parts. Uh, I think you really need to be an expert in something, right? Look, the, the, the consulting game is great because, you know, we have billable hours and we, you know, we can jump on different projects and do different things. But I think ultimately you, you will become an amazing consultant and somebody that people call when you build an expertise in something. So if one thing I like to do with um, younger uh, practitioners and, and uh, analysts is I'll say, what are you really good at? And then, you know, if they can't tell me, I'll say, well, let's develop that, right? If you, if you can't tell me what you are the best at in either a sector that you just know what's going on in the sector or if it's a competency, um, you know, where you are super, super specializing, you're an expert in that area, I, I find it hard to be a generalist consultant and really be good. Just mm-hmm. like, I think there are people that, you know, are great at project management, but what aspect of project management? Like, what, why should I call you? Um, and why should a client pay, you know, whatever they're paying for you per hour? 
And I think you have to generate that, generate that as a consultant. I think the second thing is being able to build relationships. So, and, and really what this is doing is mapping back to hard and soft skills. So I think the hard skills you can learn by experience, you know, that expertise um, over time, you just learn, you, know, you can learn some of that in the books, but you'll never really be great in, until you get in there and work with some clients. But I think the soft skills part is probably the hardest people where a lot of people struggle. And are you able to build a relationship? Are you able to connect with the client? Are you able to work with difficult people? Are you able to adjust your work style to fit, you know, someone else's so you can accomplish a goal for your client? So, I, you know, I'll break it down to building the expertise or really, really getting in on the hard skills. And then the, the second thing that makes you just invaluable as a consultant is being able to build relationships. Like you'll, if you think back past, and Christy, I'm sure this is true for you, but if you think back over your, your experience as a consultant, there are people that stick out in your mind and, you know, there are people that make it to partner, you know, three times as fast as other people most of the time, it's not because of, you know, you know, it's all about who they know. It's about the fact that that person probably can build relationships really fast and sell. I mean, there are going to be those that are just like, you know, they're in this good old boy, good old, good boy, good, what is it? Good old boy system? Good mm -hmm. old, good boy? Yeah. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. But like, <laughs> you know, there's going to be those guys, but I don't think that, I think that's an exception. I think the folks that will rise and I think the folks that become really, really great in their field as a consultant, because they can you know, they just work with everybody. They work really well. They articulate. They know when to speak. And when they speak, they, they add value. So anyway, I, I think it's a multiple, a lot of different things, but those are the two that stick out to me that make a great result. All right. Awesome. And last question, what advice would you give a new or aspiring consultant uh, on, you know, this would be kind of like things you wish, you know, someone told you when you, when oh, you first started. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you the secret. This is my hack, and this is what I do no matter how, I mean, I'm an SVP right now. I'm, some people think that's high ranking. I, there's a lot, there's a huge ceiling above me, and this is something I still do to this day. I, I tried it out in, early in my career, and it's always worked. So here's my hack. I dare you to try it. Christy, tell me what you think. <laughs> so, here's the, and I actually did this at where we work together, right? And this is one of the reasons why I think people kind of thought I was good. It's just because I use this method. So. Find that one or two people in that organization that have the juice. And you know what I mean by the juice. Those are the people that people respect. These are usually higher ranking people um, that have a lot of influence at the organization and within your sphere of, you know, your sphere of people that you're working with, right? So this might be, you know, kind of a high ranking partner or a partner that runs your practice. Um, it could be their boss. There's no rule. And, you know, you got you to gotta be a little... You have some swag when you do this, okay? But you take that person, you identify who they are. You can't do, the rule is you can't do this too early when you're at that company. So usually about six months to a year is a safe bet. Demonstrate something you can do and you have done something with a client, right? So get in there, do some work, and you know, build a little bit of experience at the, you know, you're, you're widening your network, you know some people, you've worked at a couple clients or maybe one client, and you've done some decent work, right? Now, be bold, approach that one person. And for me, this was a high-ranking person that ran our strategy division. And I, I asked this partner, and um, she was super, super you know, intimidating because she was probably one of the smartest people I ever met. But I took her to coffee. And so this could be whoever it is. It could be a, you know, a young a female associate taking a, you know, a male partner to coffee. But the rule is you have to pay for coffee. And they'll try, but say no. This is important to me that I pay. 
I'm, I'm taking you to coffee because I'm borrowing your time. And, you know, if they push and push and push it, fine, let them pay. But just make sure that, like, be assertive that, you know, look, this is me being assertive. <laughs> they need to know and feel that you're being assertive, right? So take them, to, take, take them to coffee or even to lunch, but coffee is safer because it's shorter. And, you know, you say what you got to say and then you get out of it. So there's two things. There's a reason why you're doing this meeting. This, this meeting is one, to tell them what your vision is for your career and as a consultant. What is my own vision for my career over the next, you know, the short term, maybe the next two to five years. This is what I want to do. And this is why. And so, you know, spend a little time doing that. And then the second half of the conversation is, I'm talking to you because I admire you. I think what you do is really great. How did you get to where you are? And so what happens is, in this conversation, not only have you said what you want to do, and you know, intuitively, someone that's high ranking, as long as they like you, if they don't like you, then they're not going to think this. But most, time, most of the time, if they like you or if they're starting to like you, they will think intuitively, and they won't say this, but they'll say, okay, they're being assertive, they know where they want to go, I want to help them get there. They might not say that to you then, but that's what they're thinking. When you ask them how they got there, one, anybody that's a partner or anybody senior loves to talk about, you know, how they got to where they are. They like to talk. Our favorite subject is ourselves, right? So you get them to talk about themselves and you listen and you take notes. But really is the exercise is having a conversation and showing that you admire them. And so by the end of this conversation, you might not feel too different, but you'll notice shortly thereafter, they know you, they know where you want to be. They're going to help you get there. And you've also started to build a relationship with that senior person. I've done this at every consultant company or, you know, any division or, or practice I've been at. And every time it really, really works and helps my career. Well, I think you just gave like the, the, the mic drop of all advice that I have heard <laughs> because you just, you just dropped a real secret there. So go yeah. getters. If right. you're listening to this, I think you better rewind and, and take a page from, from Jonathan's playbook. I've been a testament. Jonathan came in on fire within like a year he got promoted, which is, you know, for those who know the consulting environment, you know, coming in as an experienced hire, you're already kind of at a disadvantage. And so mm-hmm. he can you know, he came in guns a blazing. And so these sound like proven techniques. So thank you for yeah. sharing them with us for sure. One thing I'll add to that too, is that it's important that you show assertiveness and boldness, right? This isn't a chance for you to brag, but this is a chance for you to say, Hey, I know what I want to get. I know what I want and I'm, I know how to get there. And this is what I'm doing with or without you. And you don't, you're not saying that at all, but you're just saying, this is what I want to do. And usually, especially if you're a person of color or, you know, a minority, man, people will get behind that. It's not right, but that's, it's the truth, right? And I'm just keeping it real here. That is the truth. So, you know, it's important, especially for, you know, people of color, you know, different genders, like let's, let's be bold, you know, let's not be brash with it, but let's be bold and assertive. And, you know, sometimes speaking up is all you need to do. Hey, go-getters. Have feedback on today's show? Questions on consulting? Want to be a guest? We'd love to hear from you. Just drop us a line at mecmuseunplugged at gmail. That's mecmuseunplugged at gmail.com. You can also show us your support by downloading episodes, spreading the word to friends and family, or leaving us a review. 
Remember, Misi Muse Unplugged is a pop-up podcast, which means we'll stick around as long as we continue to hear from you. Thank you for your support. Now back to today's show. Well said. So I'm, I'm actually going to pivot, Jonathan. I want to get back to the career dilemma I mentioned mm-hmm. at the top of the episode right. and want to, you know, give, have you help me give, it's her name is Cassandra, help, help give Cassandra some advice. Does that sound good to you? Sure. All right. Awesome. So I'm going to just read the, the email that I got from Cassandra about about, I got it about a couple days ago. So Cassandra writes, Hey, Christy, I've been recently placed in a work stream lead role with a team of three analysts uh, with the goal of going up for promotion to manager next year. I was excited to be given this level of responsibility, but my client is, is pretty unpredictable. My client continues to make verbal commitments or agree with my approach when we talk in passing. But then when it comes time to, to be in, in meetings, she completely throws me or members of my team under the bus, sometimes acting surprised as if we've never had a conversation. I'm getting nervous because there are pieces of data that her team has in their possession that we need in order to complete our analysis, but she will accept meeting invites, then ghost or cancel them at the last minute. This is causing me a lot of anxiety because I have a lot riding on this role. What are some things that I can do, Christy, to you know, really create more accountability with my client, but in a way that I can you know, really build a relationship with her? Thanks, Cassandra. So Oof, that's right. it's a tough one. Yeah. yeah when you yeah. when you hear this, Jonathan, what are what is kind of some 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 things that come to mind of, of what Cassandra can do? Okay. So a couple of things here. One, I sympathize because I think anybody that's been a consultant long enough, you've I mean this is a war a great war story. I think, you know, Christy, you probably have some of these type of stories mm-hmm. to talk about. These are the type of stories we talk about after, um, you know, dinner and drinks, right? <laughs> but, you know, so I think what you're going through, one, just know you're not alone. I mean, I've been in this predicament before. I think there's a couple of things just to remind yourself about. And then one thing, I'll make one recommendation. A couple of things to remember, right? We're in a professional, ser- professional services industry. And so we get hired for many different reasons. Sometimes we get hired to actually help. Sometimes we're hired to literally be the scapegoat, right? And it sounds like, you know, I don't, I, don't have enough, I don't have enough data points to make a firm assessment as to what's going on, but it sounds like, you know, this lack of accountability is not just you, right? This is probably a theme of something that's been going on. Mm-hmm. Um, throwing someone on the bus is probably, I mean, if it's not you, it's probably somebody else. If she's ghosting, I think it was a she, right? If she's yeah, ghosting yeah. in meetings, right? If she's not showing up, you know, that's probably a theme. It's probably been happening for a long time. I don't think it's just you, but the, the difference is that you're in this predicament and you're hoping to control your environment. So there's a couple of things. One, you're probably being thrown on the bus and you're there literally to be the scapegoat. So that's something you're just going to have to accept. I would not take this personal at all. I would think that, you know, I would remind myself that this has probably been going on for a long time. It is a, you know, it's a work style. Uh, it is a behavior that has probably been long underway. A couple other things too. You're, you're not going to be able to control your client, um, which is nerve wracking because for anybody that's in consulting, most of us are type A. We like to be in charge and demand. What happens is when you get push, push back, and there's a really great uh, executive coach. I'm trying to remember his name right now. I can't remember, but I'll, Christy, I'll send it to you. Maybe you can share it in the, in the, yeah, sure. in the notes. But there's a really great executive coach, but initially, basically, he coaches 
consultants and senior consultants that um, when you start to get pushed back, the last thing we want to do is push against that pushback, right? What we want to do is pull, right? So if we can't push a client to you know, make a decision or move forward with the plan that we have, what we really need to do is, is pull them in. And, you know, there's three steps uh, that, that he takes, and then I'll give my opinion. But I've used his advice many times. So one, sit your client down and just ask questions, ask smart questions, right? Play back what you heard. And then at some point, they'll ask you what you think we should do. But I think the exercise of just demonstrating over time that you're not pushing an agenda, if anything, you're pulling them in by asking questions and making them feel like they're heard and they're the most important person in the room. Many times, you know, they might say the dumbest thing or they might have a horrible idea or the client just might be out of their mind. But if they feel heard and if they feel like they're the most important person, then many times a lot of those things that are kind of causing havoc in the relationship will go away. Um, and so then you can kind of get at a deeper level and gain their trust. So I, don't, I think some of the symptoms of what you're seeing is a deeper issue around gaining the trust of that person and really meeting them at where they're at. Here's what I would do though, and this is what I did in the past. I would get the client out of from work, you know, you probably don't know them that well, but if you can get them out of the workplace, you know, go get coffee, go get a drink, like especially happy, if they drink or happy hours, like take them to a happy hour. I get to know them as a person and build that relationship. You know, look, you might not hit it off, but I think they'll see that you want to get to know them and it's not just always about the work. Again, consultants, type A people, we always tend to be, you know, just work oriented and drive, drive, drive. But like, you know, our clients are up there. Many times when you're back in the workplace, you can get much more accomplished, you know, by building that relationship out. So that's what I would do. I'd get them out of the workplace, maybe put some alcohol in them if they drink. If they don't drink, take them a coffee, do something fun, right? Take it, make it not about the work, get to know who they are, their family, what they like to do. Build that relationship, and then you'll usually see that materialize on the on the business side. Awesome, awesome! I love the the three tips from the coach. You'll have to keep me posted if you if you come across the name of that 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 coach you mentioned. Really, really good advice. I'm I'm gonna add a couple more just to kind of round out like a different perspective to what mm-hmm. you just shared, Jonathan. So I, I like how you kind of you know you kind of framed it in terms of you know the kind of the individual caring and feeding of that relationship. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really great way to to look at it. I think some other things that you know Cassandra maybe consider as well, in addition to what Jonathan shared, is kind of, it, it sounds like, you know, that there may be, and I think you, I think you kind of alluded to this, Jonathan, there may be some organizational politics at play, right? Mm. And understanding, so, I, you know, you talked about being the position of a scapegoat. I would, I would, I would try to kind of, fig, you know, do a little bit of recon, you know, figure out what's going on, you know, if, if, Chances are it's, you're not the first one, but talk to your leadership, you know, figure out, you know, are, have they seen this type of behavior? Right. If you can talk to some of the, you know, her colleagues, talk to some of, you know, if she's got employees or if she's got, you know, other kind of peers in, 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 in parallel business units, try to figure out like, what is the root cause? Cause it sounds like there is a resistance and that's her tactic. So her tactic is to stall. It's to, you know, create the element of surprise and all of that. But that's, to me, that's all kind of noise for something, like you said, deeper, for sure. So looking at the organizational politics, 
figuring out, you know, and talking to people around her to kind of see how you can connect the dots to get a, a really good pulse of what's happening. I like how you said, Jonathan, don't take it personal, but keeping your leadership involved. I remember I was in a, in a, in a similar you know, situation, you know, several, over, over a decade ago. And I actually ended up setting up weekly calls with my management team, with my leadership, because they were, they knew, you know, this person had a kind of a similar type of volatile personality and she was a really critical stakeholder. So I had meetings, I would share kind of what I was doing and what was the outcome of, of, of that. And, you know, they were giving me advice. And to your point, actually, having leadership kind of work with me through that scenario, I actually ended up building really good relationships with them because we were, we were able to be successful in a way that we managed that dynamic. And I learned a ton. So this is a great learning opportunity. And the last thing I'm going to add, Cassandra is document. So you mentioned, you know, that, you know, she's, she's kind of, you know, skipping on, on verbal commitments and, and just kind of changing things in the flat. I think, you know, here's where you sometimes you have to, in addition to the relationship building, you yeah. kind of have to get a little bit more formal and make sure you're, you're documenting, you're, you're, you know, sending emails, you're, you're, you have meeting agendas, you've got meeting notes. So there's a paper trail. Because regardless if, if you're, a, you know, a scapegoat or not, you know, the, your, your firm still has to deliver, right? And there's contractual obligations at play here. And so you want to make sure you kind of cover yourself and talk to your leadership to see, you know, what that could potentially mean. One piece of advice I had one of my first, my first team leads share with me uh, over 15 years ago, and I still you know, I still follow this, this concept to this day. I remember he, he told me, I never forget it. He's like, Christy, if it's not written, it does not exist. And I, I think that's just so true. So, so take that with, with, with that advice. This was really great. I don't know if you've got anything else you wanted to share, Jonathan. I was just going to say that the name of that coach, the executive coach was Dr. J.M. Perry. Oh, um, okay. Which I'm awesome. sure you heard. Um, he's been around for quite a while and he works with, you know, all the top uh, consulting companies, banks, technology companies. So um, he has this audio series called The Pool Recipe, which is really about letting your clients have their way. But it, it is probably the most valuable piece of coaching I've gotten from anybody ever. Awesome. So check it out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your, your time with this. So Cassandra, hopefully, you know, take run with those tips and keep me posted on, on how you land. But Jonathan, it was such a great pleasure to connect uh, with you. This was first, great. Congrats to you. I mean, this uh, you're, you're killing it. Like, I love, I love what you're doing. Keep doing it because I think you're helping a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of folks that are either stumbling into this industry or they've been around. They just, you know, haven't had a chance to listen to others in this industry and hear their problems. And you're giving a lot of great advice. So congrats to you for what you're doing. Keep doing it. And uh, I'm, I'm just honored that you, you had me call in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much. I, like I said, I, I have to figure out what your superlative is because your mic drop like advice on younger can like, that was amazing. So I, I, I haven't figured out what the title is, but I'll, I'll keep you posted, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. And by, and by the way, that's a hack. So share yes. it with other people. Yeah. It's a total yes, hack. It absolutely. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> awesome. Well, that wraps up uh, today's episode. So go-getters, if you have a particular question or feedback, feel free to drop us a line at Macy Muse Unplugged at Gmail. Again, that's Macy Muse Unplugged at Gmail.com. I'd like to again thank Jonathan for being a guest on today's show and thank you, my go getters, for tuning in. This is Christy Lindor signing out for the Macy Muse Unplugged Pop Up Podcast. Here's to your journey to greatness. 
Tune in every Friday for new episodes syndicated on iTunes, Google Play Music, and many more. Visit www.misimuse.com for more information. Thank you.